This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill. I'm with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. It is great to be uh, with you this morning. I'm really excited to have Mark Chamberlain with us, uh, a lawyer at Butler Snow. Uh, and he's going to talk to us about slap suits today. Uh, last week, we, we spent some time on the, the Second Amendment, and this, this week we're going to be talking about the First Amendment, which is a passion of, of Mark and I were talking about this before the show, uh, a passion of Mark's. Mark, could you please tell us a little bit about, um, about your background? We're really happy to have you here. Good morning, Richard. And before I begin, I want to thank you and Liz both for having me on in legal terms today. Uh, as I was telling you, I'm an avid listener, and I'm glad to be here today. Um, just to give you a little background, I am currently an associate with Butler Snow in the Risland office. I joined in 2018, right after I graduated from law school at Mississippi College School of Law. Um, my practice entails product liability litigation and commercial litigation. And that is essentially civil defense in which we defend product manufacturers, businesses, automotive companies, governmental entities, the whole gamut. And uh, I'm from Jackson and I got a political science degree from Tougaloo College, and that's about it. <laughs> well, we're so we're so thrilled to have you. I want to I want to give a shout out to your former dean, uh, Jim Rosenblatt. You know, he sometimes accuses us of only having Ole Miss grads on our, our show, and we're really happy to have uh, a wonderful Mississippi College grad as well uh, from our sister law school down in Jackson. So, welcome to the show. And um, you know, can you please tell us? We, we, we our topic is slap suits, and. You know, I think a lot of people don't really know what a slap suit is. So what, what is a strategic lawsuit against public participation? What exactly is that? Right. right. And like you just said, Richard, again, a slap is an acronym for a strategic lawsuit against public participation. And the way that is used is typically companies, uh, governmental entities, or any type of entity that deals with matters of public concern, they will use these types of lawsuits to discourage outspoken critics from speaking out against the entity. Um, so, for example, if a, a mayor made a controversial decision at a city council meeting and some of the members of some of the residents of the city were in attendance and wrote a, a guest column on, you know, a big newspaper. The mayor may decide, hey, I don't like what you said about me, so I'm going to write, you know, I'm going to file this lawsuit and try to discourage you. Um, the point a lot of times is not really uh, to win the lawsuit. A, a lot of times you'll see slap suits disguised as, disguised as suits for defamation or libel or slander. But unlike those cases, the main objective is really just to squeeze the defendant's resources by running up attorney's fees and course, the press, that, the bad press that comes along with it. And they've proven to be pretty effective in the past. So that's what a strategic lawsuit against public participation is in a nutshell. So, so what kind of organizations would, would typically be a, a target of a slap suit? Uh, you know, I, I, I remember, I mean, this is, I remember a few years ago, it's been a long time ago, but Oprah Winfrey said uh, something about uh, the meat industry, uh, and then she was sued. 
uh, in Texas, um, you know, because uh, you know that was kind of akin to a slap suit. To say, you know, to, they called it defamation, but to try to uh, silence her, her uh, criticism. So, but she, she's a person. But uh, what kind of organizations do, uh, are t targets of slap suits typically? Yeah, I think you gave a really good example with Oprah, uh, and I know that's an individual, but a lot of times it'll be either maybe a nonprofit or some type of community advocacy group that, again, because the objective is with them being so outspoken, you want to silence them. And typically those are, again, uh, advocacy groups and nonprofits and any individual uh, or public figure, somebody that has a really influential platform. Uh, that an entity would have an interest in wanting to silence because they don't want to influence the public negatively. Well, you you mentioned that you know, you're, you have a passion for the First Amendment uh, when we were talking before the show, and you know how how does this all fit in with the First Amendment? It seems like you know, especially when we're talking about public figures or you know public entities preventing someone from speaking out or criticizing them. That seems to kind of go against what our principles of the First Amendment are. Exactly. So, uh, and those two issues touch directly, and that is why so many states, 29 states to be specific, have enacted what are called anti-slap laws, which prohibit those very types of lawsuits due to the First Amendment. In any case involving a slap suit or defamation or libel, the courts always have to weigh the defendant's First Amendment interests against the allegedly defamatory statement. Uh, so with a, a defamation claim, for example, they can only proceed if the underlying speech is unprotected by the First Amendment. The way to, to think about the First Amendment is like a spectrum. You know, you have an area of speech that is clearly not protected by the First Amendment, Ob obscene, offensive remarks, blatantly false uh, statements. And then you have those statements that while you, the, the subject of the statement may not like the content of it, that is indeed protected. And then you have like the middle ground area that's a little, a little more gray, which is where our courts come in to fill in those gaps. I'm loving learning about this. I uh, do not pretend to know much about the law, so anytime I get some new information, I'm excited to learn about it. This morning, we're talking about slap lawsuits, and that works out to be strategic lawsuit against public participation, and our guest is attorney Mark Chamberlain from Butler Snow Law Firm. Well, Liz, lawyers love acronyms, and so that's why we slap is such a great name for it, you know, and, um, in a way because it does feel like it sounds like they're, they're slapping someone into being quiet. Um, but Mark, you know, you mentioned defamation, so let's let's talk a little bit about how, you know, um, I may say something. Uh, you know, criticize a, a, a public official in a way, or, or a, a corporation in a way that maybe I'm wrong, um, you know, but I'm not. You know, it's just my opinion. Um, would, could they could they win a defamation suit against me if I if I just give my opinion? Um, and yeah, that's that's where it, uh, that's where it can get a little murky. Uh, just with you, so. The way that going back to what I mentioned about the First Amendment, thinking about it like a spectrum, Let, let's take a public figure, for example. If a public figure on, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll call you a public figure. You're on Mississippi Public Broadcast. I'd call you a public figure. Uh, if you make a statement 
uh, against something, uh, against some entity that's opinionated, and even if uh, the other person disagrees, the standard for them to prevail against you in a defamation suit is even higher with your position as a public figure. They would have to prove that you made the statement with actual malice, or in other words, that you had knowledge, objective knowledge, that the statement that you made was false, which is a, a bit different from giving an opinionated statement, which we're all entitled to. And those are typically protected by the First Amendment, so long as the speech is not obscene or doesn't fall into some exception that the courts have carved out over the years. So, you know, so it sounds like the, the First Amendment really um, is primary, and, and that's where we want to give people the ability to speak, but we want to we don't want them to, to uh, defame someone. Um, but what, you know, what if I just I, I give an opinion and I say, you know, uh, Coca-Cola came out with new Coke, you know, back a long time ago, and, and people were opinionated about it. And I said, boy, that's terrible. That Coke made a huge mistake. You know, somebody wrote a book called The Other Guy Blinked. You know, from Pepsi. I mean, could, that would not be defamatory. But but could could Coke, the Coca-Cola company seek to to stop me from making those comments? Um, uh, you know, by, you know, and criticizing their product by following a slap suit. Well, that, I, I guess you can say that it's certainly an option, but I, I, I don't think that it would get very far. Um, and I'm glad you asked that question because uh, a lot of states recognize, uh, or a lot of courts in various states allow what are called anti-slap motions that can be filed at the outset of a case. So it's, just, it's basically a motion to dismiss, and the motion to dismiss is saying this. This defamation claim that Coca-Cola filed is so frivolous, it is so bogus, that there is no way that they could be afforded any type of relief by the court whatsoever. There is very clear that this is just a, an effort to harass the speaker and disincentivize them from speaking out. So that is the purpose of those types of anti-slap motions. And other states also allow you to file counterclaims. Um, because some states don't have slap legislation, like Mississippi is one of those states, for example. We don't have an actual slap law on the book, but we do have other common law causes of action that afford remedies to protect subjects of slap litigation, such as abusive process or malicious prosecution, and those counterclaims can be filed while the suit is active. So there are a number of options that anyone who uh, who feels like they've been the target of, of a frivolous slap suit uh, to, to explore to protect their own interests. Professor Gershon, remind us, uh, those of us who don't have our dictionary, our law dictionaries ha uh, handy, what is defamation? Well, Liz, defamation could be um, two forms, really. Uh, the, old, the old way of looking at it was there was uh, libel and slander. Slander is if you said something about somebody that um, harmed them, it was false, and it harmed them in a way that uh, affected their reputation and, and you know, that you could get damages. And then libel was when you publish that in writing or nowadays, you know, through uh, through digital media, libel would be uh, something that would be similar, but it would be, you know, written down. And, and the reason why libel was actually considered worse in the old days was, um, unlike days where we have uh, um, podcasts now and things like that, where you could say something about somebody that is transmitted very broadly. Usually, if you slandered somebody, it was not going to go very far. But if you libeled them, it could be published and be in newspapers in the New York Times or whatever and, and go all over the country. And so that that was tended to be considered to be more damaging. But the whole idea was it's a limitation, as Mark said, a limitation on free speech because uh, you've got um, you know, you, you've got somebody lying about somebody else and hurting their reputation in such a way a court might give them damages for that. 
That's exactly right. And, you know, to, to follow up on your Coca-Cola example and just to build on to my point about why I don't think that would get very far, um, to prove a defamation claim, again, to start, you have to prove that there was a false statement that was purported to be a fact. And then, of course, the public, the, the statement has to be published or communicated to some third person. And the most, I think the biggest burden that Coca-Cola would have to overcome in that instance would be to prove damages. Um, when you're talking about a, a big company, uh, you know, that has reached all over the country or within a certain geographic region, it's kind of hard to prove reputational harm or loss of sales just off the, or it's hard to imagine rather how one statement could result in an adverse impact. Uh, I mean, I, I guess it could be, it would be popular, but in the example that we gave, you know, I think they would have a, a bit of trouble proving, proving damages, reputational harm or financial loss. But thank you for explaining what defamation is. Sometimes I have the, I have the tendency to, to talk to people as if they've been in law school with me and practicing law with me for the last five years. So. Well, we are quite grateful for the lawyers that do listen, but we pride ourselves that this show is for everyone, for the entire state of Mississippi, to learn what your rights are. And, you know, sometimes, every time, it seems like we do have to have a little bit of a vocabulary lesson, and I think that makes us all the richer for that. Absolutely. We, we're discussing strategic lawsuits against public participation. I'm going to mess up on that every time with our guest, Attorney Mark Chamberlain. When we've already we've already stole my thunder. Can you name a famous slap suit? I bet this one will be familiar to you. I'll tell you what it is next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life's disruptions. Whatever it is, we're here to help. Find out what we're all about and subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB public media app. is in legal terms. Now, not everyone has a chance to listen to our whole show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org, and it's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. And as we talked a little bit about in our first segment, when the Texas cattle ranchers sued Oprah Winfrey in 1996 over her beef comments, that was an example of a strategic lawsuit against public participation, and I guess they didn't think Oprah was going to spend the money to fight it, but she did. Uh, that was my stay-at-home time, and I remember watching the Oprah show uh, when she broadcast from Texas, and this is our 
topic today, strategic lawsuits against public participation slap and our guest is attorney mark chamberlain from the butler loss butler snow law firm mark we're so glad to have you with us today and you know i i i you mentioned before in the first segment that some states have anti-slap statutes um does mississippi uh, Mississippi actually does not have an anti-slap statute. Uh, there are 29 states that do have those statutes, uh, and Mississippi is not one of them. As, as I mentioned earlier in the segment, although Mississippi does not have one of those laws on the book, there are defenses and remedies uh, available to those who be, have been the victim or the subject of a slap suit. And those remedies are typically claims for abusive process or malicious prosecution. And abusive process is exactly what the name uh, suggests, is that you have abused this civil process for harassment or personal gain and not to uh, remedy some harm that was done to you. Um, now, for the 29 states that have these anti-slap laws, there's a lot of variation in the breadth of each law. Uh, for example, some states require plaintiffs, those who are filing the slap suits, to pay the defendant's attorney fees from defending the slaps in the event that the suit is dismissed or the defendant is successful. Other statutes don't require the defendants, I mean the plaintiffs, to pay those defendants' attorney's fees. Um, then, uh, in other states, like Tennessee, for example, they only those anti-slap statutes only prohibit. Uh, they only seek to silence speech against governmental entities, for instance. Those are the only ones that are pre prohibited. So it's, it's a lot of different flavors that they can come in. But the, the, the underlying uh, principle is that, you know, everyone speech is generally protected by the First Amendment, subject to a few examples that I, you know, set forth earlier with my, my spectrum kind of illustration. You know, and I think it's when we think about the, the legal process in general, I think it's, it's, a, it's scary for people. And if somebody files a lawsuit against someone, um, you know, they know it's going to cost some money, typically, um, you know, people who can't afford uh, to pay. We fortunately have organizations like uh, Mississippi Rural, uh, North Mississippi Rural Legal Services, for example, um, to help them. But, you know, so these could be expensive. And, and I, so I guess my question might be, do, is there ever a valid slap suit or are they always kind of just to, to take advantage of the process well I, I could imagine in some instances in which one could indeed be successful uh, if they could actually prove the underlying elements of the cause of action many times the goal is you know to to, to silence speech just curtail speech in its entirety um, but I could imagine some examples in which uh, the plaintiff could indeed prove that this was a defamatory statement that resulted in some reputational or financial harm. Um, but it's pretty, I think more often than not, they are, <laughs> they either get dismissed or settled or, or, you know, or they tend to be pretty frivolous. How can That's you so. prove um, malicious or uh the harm that you've done first first tell us what malicious is and tell us how someone could could you know defend themselves or, or or prove that they were hurt by the the words right okay so let's uh let's take let's just use mpb uh let's say you all um uh speak out against some uh let me see some major company with a, with a huge regional presence here in the southeast and um, on your show 
you basically lay it on them <laughs> for for an hour straight, and you just you you, you just criticize them uh, back and forth. And if they can show that over the course of the year that you know they lost uh, they lost revenue, um, they lost financial harm, and they you know have surveys and things of that sort to prove that that was the ticking that was the turning point that turned off a lot of their consumers. That could be an example of one way in which someone to prove alleged harm. It's just a just a small example. Uh, just to clarify, though, for, for defamation suits, the, the standard is not always necessarily malice. Malice is the standard when the public when there is a public figure making the allegedly defamatory speech. In all other cases, it's typically a negligent standard, which means that you did not act with reasonable care in making the statement. You could have you could have subjectively believed the statement to be true, or it could have been opinionated, as Professor Gershom asked earlier in the show. So malice is not always the standard necessarily in a defamation suit. So in fact, yeah, I mean, we, we hold because, you know, because of the First Amendment, um, we, we do protect public figures to a lesser degree because uh, they put themselves out there uh, and, you know, for criticism. We want, you know, part of our government, part of our, our, our democracy is based on the ability to criticize our, our uh, elected officials, for example, who are public, public figures. But if I say something bad about my neighbor, who's not a public figure, and you know I'm not real careful and look into the facts, and I say you know my, I say something defamatory about my neighbor, my neighbor's going to be able to sue me a little bit easier, as you mentioned. But right, so, um, but why? I mean, how could a public figure, if I if I say, I think, I think. I'm not going to mention any of our public officials, obviously, but I think so-and-so of our government is a liar, or I think so-and-so of our government um, is, uh, you know, corrupt. Is that something that would could be defamatory? Uh, not at all, because uh, again, uh, you speaking out of, as a public speaking out against a, a, a public figure would require actual malice, and that would mean that there would have to be. A truth, there would have to be truth to it or it would have to be absolutely false. And that is your opinion. If you think that they're terrible or, you know, some some personality trait that you just don't like about them, that's not really subject to, to fact. It's an opinionated statement. So you would generally be protected to make that type of statement. So long as, so long as it wasn't anything that incited some type of, you know, violence or anything. But I, it's pretty hard to imagine how that can happen. <laughs> We're talking this morning about strategic lawsuits against public participation that shortens to slap. And we have our guest attorney, Mark Chamberlain, with us this morning. And Mark, I mean, you know, so let's let's talk about, you know, we talked about the Oprah lawsuit. What I mean, what did the beef industry in Texas really hope to gain from that? Um, were they looking for, you know, do they, is it typically a slap suit? Are they at least alleging money damages? Or are they trying to get the person to be quiet uh, and not be able to speak out again against them? And what, what would, a, would a plaintiff in a slap suit really be trying to get? Yeah, well, I can't speak too much about the, the Oprah lawsuit because I'm, I'm showing my age a bit here, but I was, I was three years old when that one happened. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know a whole lot about that case specifically, but typically what, what motivates the plaintiffs is is, is just the, to make the, the defendants be quiet. They want to silence the speech. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, the targets of these slap suits are often community advocacy groups and nonprofits who, who may or may not have a ton of resources or, or money at their disposal 
So I don't really know how far a plaintiff would expect to get by just trying to recover money from them. It's more so their platform that they're more concerned with silencing because they know that they have the ability to influence the public adversely against against the entity. You know, so it's typically uh, it's typically the, the the reputational harm that they think will flow from. Uh, the critics or the defendants being so outspoken. Well, I have a question. It would seem to me that this would kind of be the opposite. Let's say big company sues Professor Gershon because he said something that big company didn't like. I mean, that doesn't that just bring to light? Doesn't that just highlight what Professor Gershon said that big company didn't like? And the fact that a law and if the lawsuit becomes public, even though it will cost Professor Gershon a lot of money to fight the lawsuit, doesn't that uh, unliked topic just get brought up over and over and over again and amplified? Oh, yes, exactly. Exactly. And that and that's the other thing is, you know, the, the bad press that comes from it is also an incentive a lot of the times because, you know, it's, you have three things that you're balancing here. You have, of course, uh, the bad press, the money that it costs to defend the suit. And like I said, the silencing of the platform. And I think, you know, most people who are in those positions, the First Amendment is very near and dear to their hearts. So they want to speak out on issues that they're passionate about and that they feel the, the public has an interest in knowing about. But you, you hit it right on the head when you when you talked about, uh, uh, you know, the bad press and the reputational harm that will flow to the speaker. Uh, just by being subject to the slap suit. Well, but wouldn't what if the public was on the side of the speaker, on the side of Oprah talking against the beef company, uh, on the I, side I, I, of Professor Gershon, who they thought, you know, way to go, Professor Gershon, you're you're saying what we speak, and. I mean, couldn't that backfire on big corporation who was suing Professor Gershon for what he said when everybody felt that way? Mm -hmm. yep. uh, and that, that's a very good point. It could very well backfire. But I can tell you that uh, some clients are not or, or some entities, rather, are, some, are not always rational thinkers <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to that kind of thing. So sometimes they, you know, have to learn the hard way. But that is a very legitimate point that. The, the public could side with the speaker and it, it could, you know, not produce the, the desired outcome for the for the plaintiff. And on the other hand, it might be, you know, if I if I am a let's say it's I, I'm an environmental organization and I'm thinking about saying something bad against a company that's harming the environment and another environmental organization uh, says something similar that you know to what we, we believe in and and they get a slap suit filed against them, we may think twice. And we may say, hey, that's, some, that's, that's a topic we better not touch because that company is going to sue us and we don't have the resources to fight that lawsuit. So, I mean, do you think maybe the slap suits actually are more, even less aimed at the, the actual speaker and more aimed at anybody else who may be thinking the same thing to kind of oh, shut them up? Absolutely. Uh, because like you said, if, if uh, that environmental work, uh, group that you just mentioned, for example, if they speak out on one particular issue, there are probably a, a number of affiliated <laughs> environmental organizations or members within that organization who have just as much to say against those same entities and various other, you know, various other issues as they arise. So if you drain the resources out of those, those nonprofits, you kind of kind of hurt their cause, you know, altogether. So that's definitely an objective as well. 
I am loving this in-depth conversation we're having about strategic lawsuits against public precipitation. We're talking with Mark Chamberlain, and we want to know about another famous lawsuit. I'll tell you next, although you may not know this one. It may be uh, even a little bit more before you time. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. Hey, we hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast. Lots of different podcasting platforms. I happen to use Podcast Addict. I downloaded it to my Android phone. I understand Apple phones already have their podcasting platform on their phone pre-installed. I touched the plus, and that took me to a page to search for, gosh, there's hundreds, there's thousands of different podcasts. But you can type in the words in legal terms in the search area. It'll bring up our in legal terms, which we should be the only one. And I was able to touch the photo of of in legal terms, then subscribe. And then I'm notified anytime a new episode is loaded up. We want to remind everybody that 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays, following our live show, you can hear Southern Remedy, relatively speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. This morning, we are talking about SLAP (laughs) with our guest, attorney Mark Chamberlain from the Butler Snow Law Firm, and SNAP is Strategic Lawsuits Against Public Participation. And another famous slap suit was in 1989, 60 Minutes, and you're always scared when 60 Minutes shows up around you. Uh, they broadcast a story about the harmful effects of a chemical agent called Elar used in apple growing. Apple farmers in Washington state sued 60 Minutes and its parent companies, alleging more than $100 million in damages. The suit was dismissed on summary judgment, which the U.S. Ninth court upheld on appeal in 1994, and because the apple growers could not show that the statements made by 60 Minutes were false. Okay, a couple of questions. First of all, what does dismissed on summary judgment mean, Professor Gershon? And then Mark Chamberlain, um, how prevalent are slap suits? I hadn't really heard about them until our engineer, Jay, he hosts Everyday Tech, which is on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. They were talking about that on his show. So what is dismissed on summary judgment mean and how prevalent are slap suits? Well, summary judgment, you know, we, we think about what well, we have a course, really a two semester course on civil procedure about rules for, you know, what, how a, a case proceeds. And one of the things that happens is the plaintiff has to prove um, their case 
uh, typically, unless there's a higher standard, by preponderance of the evidence, which means they got to show 51 to 49 that, that, that more likely than not, uh, the defendant did what the plaintiff is accusing them of. And if, if uh, at the end of the plaintiff's presentation, because the plaintiff goes first, uh, there's not, they don't meet that standard, then uh, it can, a case can be dismissed on summary judgment. So that it doesn't even go to the jury, uh, doesn't need to go any farther, and we can uh, kind of short circuit the process. The other thing is, um, just in the pleadings themselves, a court could dismiss as well on summary judgment by looking at the pleadings and saying the plaintiff hadn't pleaded a case that can can uh, be uh, uh, proven uh, or doesn't have any, you know, sometimes we dismiss based on the fact that there's no cause of action. That's a different kind of motion. But so the various motions that a, that a, a lawyer would file in a, in a trial um, along the way to, to try to uh, end the case there without having to go any farther. Um, so Mark, what, you know, if you have something to add to that, since you you actually do trials, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy for you to do so. Okay, and thanks for that explanation about uh, you know, how the summary judgment process works. I'll, I'll start with the question that Liz asked about just how prevalent are uh, slap suits. Uh, you see them with some frequency because, as I mentioned earlier, they're. They're, ne they're never going to be called a slap lawsuit. That's not what it's going to say on the pleading. It's usually going to be framed as a defamation claim or maybe a civil conspiracy or a tortious interference claim. Um, but you, uh, when you, if you think about it like a pie chart of our legal system and the types of cases that arise, it probably doesn't take up a very big percentage. Uh, but to follow up on what Professor Gershom was saying about uh, you know, the standard for dismissal, our state, the state of Mississippi and the federal rules of civil procedure both include rules that prohibit plaintiffs from filing lawsuits in which there is no good faith basis to begin at the pleading stage. That's one that and that's that would be the motion to dismiss standard. And in some cases, when you file a lawsuit where there is no good faith basis, it could even subject the plaintiff to monetary sanctions or any other sanction that the court deems appropriate. So that could have some some. Uh, something to do with why, like I said, slap suits don't necessarily take up a huge percentage of the pie chart for our civil legal system. And as you move along in the litigation process, you go into a period of what's called discovery. And that's when we take evidence, we take, we depose witnesses, um, and just so much about the lawsuit comes out, the facts that don't come out during the pleading stages. And if, once we've completed discovery, if there is one, so for example, let's say that the defendant files a motion for summary judgment to have the slap suit dismissed. In order for them to prevail on that motion for summary judgment, they would have to prove that now that discovery is complete, based on the evidence that they've put forth and the evidence that I've put forth, there is no way that a jury could afford relief to this plaintiff. And the actual, I'm going to use just a little bit of legalese here. The standard is there is no genuine dispute of material fact that this that this plaintiff could prevail on this lawsuit before a jury. And that's why we have a, a 30 weeks of civil procedure at law school, because there's a lot to it. And, and thank you for that, Mark, because that was a really good explanation. Appreciate it. Um, you know, um, now, I, I, I was you, you look at the slap suits and you think, OK, they are strategic. And so even in that process, even if even if I'm a prevail on a summary judgment, I got to hire somebody like you if, I, if somebody files a slap suit against me, and I and, um, and and I would definitely hire you to do that. But that would cost me money, 
even if I win on summary judgment, uh, as as the uh, apple growers you know lost on summary judgment, uh, you know, 60 Minutes had to you know go through a process, hire lawyers, go through discovery. So there is some impact certainly uh, in that case. Is there any chance that that the uh, plaintiff, I mean, the uh, plaintiff would have to pay the defendant's legal fees in that situation? Right. So a, a number of states, their anti-slap laws speak exactly to that very issue, and they do require uh, the 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 plaintiffs to pay the defendant's attorney's fees. Other states do not require that. And because Mississippi is one of those states that doesn't have an anti-slap law on the books, that issue of attorney's fees is something that would have to be litigated before the court as a separate matter. And there is no statute that just automatically affords that relief to the defendant. So it really depends on which state you're in, honestly. What's so interesting, because I actually had a, had a colleague at another law school who wrote an article about how we should adopt um, the system of other countries, which is loser pays. So if you if you bring a lawsuit against somebody and you lose, you pay not only your fees, but you pay their fees. And that that would probably cut down on the uh, the number of these types of lawsuits that, that are designed to, to really bleed the other side. Um, but we have we don't have that here. So and as you mentioned, we in Mississippi does not have an anti-slap uh, uh, legislation to, to make that happen. But Mark, let's talk a little bit about kind of me getting in trouble, okay? Let's, if I, if I, I love this example. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I always, I'm always getting, I, mean, I teach wills in the States and my students laugh because I die every class. Okay? Let's <laughs> say I die today. So here I am. So, um, I, so um, you know, if I write a letter to the editor or I'm, I'm, in, I'm participating in a demonstration, can those things, can I be, uh, can somebody file a slap suit against me for those kinds of things? Oh, those are pretty typical exa uh, examples of, you know, what, what's, you know, I guess encourages a plaintiff to want to file a slap suit, like, just like what you mentioned, writing letters to the editors or, you know, participating in demonstrations. Um, so, yes, you very very well could be subject to a slap lawsuit if that were to happen. Um, you, you were probably about to ask me this, but I want to jump the gun just a little bit. Um, if that were to happen and you believe that you make a statement uh, that could possibly ruffle enough feathers that a slap suit would follow, uh, the first thing that you should do is consult with an attorney or legal organization about how you should proceed next. That's number one. I think that's probably pretty pretty common sense, but, you know, sometimes people skip that step. Uh, and then secondly, one thing I would say, if this is at all possible, I would say to document your communications. Uh, if the demonstration was, you know, it was a, a protest or something, if you could capture any type of video recording or anything that you may have from it, or of course, if it was a letter to the editor, you always want to keep your copies. Um, you want to make sure you know the date that it was written and any other, any other documents that could possibly provide context, you know, for why you make the statement that you made. Um, and that's about the gist of what you could do on the front end. So, so pretty much, I mean, yeah, we we all, almost all engage in social media these days. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess you know, never really thought about you know a tweet or uh, a post on Facebook or I guess Parler if, if you're if you're doing Parler. Um, you know, it, are those things that can also uh, cause a slap suit to be filed against me? 
Oh, absolutely. And that's probably the most prevalent context that you see it in today with, uh, you know, now we have what are called social influencers and that's an advent that didn't exist 20 years ago, you know, and social influencers are those with such a large social media presence that they generate a huge following and that anything that they say, whether right or wrong or true or false, there are going to be a lot of people that agree with it. And that kind of speaks to the heart of what oftentimes motivates plaintiffs to want to file slap lawsuits is it's the, the demographic that you're reaching, you know, the number of people people that you're influencing to add to, to think adversely about my business. So yes, that is a very common example of how you see slap suits rise in, in the 21st century during the social media age. Certainly. Yet another reason to, yet another reason to keep a uh, lawyer's phone number in your contacts of your phone. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a good practice. Great practice. Well, I know we don't have a ton of time, but um, Marcus, is there anything else? We really so appreciate you being here today and uh, and so lucky to have had this conversation. I, I certainly learned a lot. Um, what what would you tell people to, to steps they could take to avoid a slap suit? So, uh, of course, like I just mentioned, and you all just hit it on the head is, you know, first things first, consult with the lawyer if you think that. You, you made a statement that could ruffle some feathers. Um, and again, I think you should also document the communication, um, whether it was a, at a peaceful post uh, demonstration, you wanted to capture it by video, or you wanted to write a letter to the editor and you just wanted to document that and have it for your own, your own records and make sure you uh, preserve any other documentation that could provide context for why you made that statement. Well, but as my mama says, you can't stop crazy. And people in America can sue for whatever they want to, and you can't stop crazy. Thank you, Mark Chamberlain, for being on the show with us. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. Thank you, Jay White, and for Professor Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. We hope you'll join us next Tuesday live at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.